Hello, Gator Nation, and welcome to this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am, of course, your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And today I am joined by, as always, lead writer and founder of the In All Kinds of Weather brand and in all kinds of weather.com, Neil Schulman. And you can follow him at All Kinds Weather on Twitter. So, of course, Neil, this is going to be a difficult pod because, of course, we have to discuss the complete meltdown of the Florida Gators, especially in terms of the program expectations for year four under Dan Mullen. We have a lot to discuss. So, Neil, before we dive into all that, do you have any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I can't really remember the last time that the Gators season, at least in terms of reaching you know, the SEC title game and winning a national title, I can't remember the last time a season was over so early in the year. Like even in 2017, McIlwain's farewell, Florida started 3-0 in the SEC. In 2013 even, Florida lost a terrible game to Miami, but they started 3-0 in the SEC. 2014 even, the, the Muschamp... Uh, the, the Muschamp farewell year. We started 2-1 and one in the SEC. We had a, a loss to Alabama on the road, but we beat Tennessee, unlike this year. We beat Kentucky. So, like, despite early losses, the season goals were still alive in the first week of October. This is completely uncharted territory for the Gators in that five games into the year and, and the season shot. Like that that's just unheard of. Even even in those those down years that you know we, we always point to as the dark ages, even in those years, we were alive in terms of reaching our goals of winning the SEC and the national title more than five weeks into the year. And I, I just don't know. I mean, like like 2010, even 2011, the years, you know, Urban's last year, we had obvious problems against Miami and Ohio. We couldn't snap the ball. We had obvious problems even the next week against USF. Um, But we started the year four and oh, like we, we left the month of September and you know, the the first weekend of October, although we lost those fifth games um, to Alabama in big fashion, we still had all of our championship goals intact. And now at at that same point in, in the 2021 season, they're gone. So we're going to try to make sense of that all today. Um, but it's, I mean, this, this is completely uncharted waters here. So Dustin, um, I'm still kind of at a loss. What do you, what do you think, man? Yeah, Neil. Um, I'm like yourself. I'm at a loss for words and it all comes down to simple stuff. So I'm going to give you today my first and hopefully only segment of the season. It is the ABCs of yet another Gator defeat. A, abysmal penalties, 15 penalties, 115 yards. And I, uh, I had a hard time finding the exact number, but I believe there's seven or eight false starts. B, bad special teams. Again, other than the two incredible field goals by Chrisman, um, both were pretty close to his all-time long, including his uh, 51-yarder. Special teams was terrible. We had that kick six. Uh, now they could have tied it, um, 
And if they would have scored, they may have had a chance to take the lead on, on a, um, on a two point conversion, but we all know that that wasn't likely to happen. And last but not least, C, they coached scared. Not only did coach Mullen seem to have, um, poor play calling at times, he, co- he was coaching scared the whole game. And there was no greater evidence of that than how we chose to end the first half with three timeouts and a little less than two minutes left with an offense that was considered to be by the numbers, at least number nine in the nation, we chose to do nothing. If we would have even gone to try for a field goal, that would have been better than nothing. But we indeed go to the second half with uh, no score to bear um, going into the half. And of course, uh, Kentucky got the ball to start the second half. So there you have it, Neil. That's my ABCs. We'll, of course, dive in to each of those in a little bit more detail. But I felt that would be an interesting way to start off the show. Yeah, not a bad way. Um we got to get our ad spots in at some point. I don't know how I transition from from that that gloom and doom, which is, by the way, 1,000% warranted, but to transition from that into our ad spots. But yeah, I'll try. Um, as usual, y'all, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding, the digital marketing people that did the Gator Good Foundation website, um, among other pretty impressive projects they do, uh, web design, graphic design, digital media, digital marketing, email marketing, web design, um, app development, anything in that sort of realm you think you or someone you know may need help with, go to stingraybranding.com to check out their services and rates. Um, Of course, the Gate of Good Foundation, I just mentioned Stingray Branding, um, completed that website about a year and a month ago, about 13 months ago. Now, um, really, really awesome job they did. But the Gator Good Foundation itself, of course, if you have not already heard, if you're new to this pod, um, a nonprofit organization that collects donations from the Gator Nation and brings an underprivileged Gator fan to his or her first ever Florida Gator game in the swamp. We did so a week ago now uh, with Ontario Jones and an Army veteran who is losing his eyesight and wanted to see his Gators play in person before his eyesight went away. Um, Our 2021 campaign, of course, is now – in the rear view mirror, but we are looking ahead to the 2022 season already. We're looking at games to pick out. Um, we're still kind of figuring that out now. It's going to be a little bit of time before we come to a conclusion on that. But in the meantime, if you'd like to give us a good jump start on that 2022 campaign and like to donate, please go to, to GatorGoodFoundation.com, click on the donate button, and all shall be revealed. And Dustin, that's about where the goodwill portion of the show is going to end. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's going to end in about as abrupt a fashion as the Sopranos because yeah. there was, there, there was the first drive. That was good. The defense by and large was fine. You'd like to see them tackle. Um, there's, there's no reason to let Wondell Robinson look like Kadarius Tony on a 41 yard touchdown like that. By and large, the defense was was passable. Um, I mean, Zach Carter with another sack, he's he still got a shot at taking down Alex Brown's record of 13 sacks in a year. He's now got five and a half. So not totally inconceivable that he could get seven and a half 
over the next seven games. Plus I'm assuming he'll play in a bowl game. Um, but you know, so it's worth keeping an eye on that. Kyer Elam did not play. I thought the secondary was again, fine, not great, but they did their jobs for the most part. Uh, and, and that's it. That's, that's where the positives end. The offensive line, major, major regression from the last couple of weeks. You can say that, well, they were spooked out by the crowd. Well, the crowd there is about two-thirds the capacity of the swamp in, in Lexington. How the hell are you going to function in Baton Rouge in Death Valley when there are 93,000 or so screaming for blood? How are you going to function when there are 40,000 Georgia fans screaming for your blood? in Jacksonville in a neutral game there. How, how are you going to function in South Carolina this year? That, that place can get rowdy. The Gamecocks may suck, but that's a place that is notorious for getting loud and causing disruptions. How are you going to function there? So there's that. There's the X's and O's lack of execution. The guys are missing blocks. They look confused in a lot of plays. Gene DeLance, I, I've been very, very happy for the first few games of the year just didn't just didn't put together good game tape that is the nicest way to say you know put it keep it respectful keep it real never personal of course it's not that's you know part of being a good gator and all kinds of weather but you know the, the tape he gives us is the tape he gives us and you can't make something out of it that it's not it just wasn't good that's not that's not how you play right tackle in the sec you've got to understand your assignment better you've got to play with better pad level he, I mean, all these things he's done so much better over the first four weeks of the year. He took a step back and looked like the 2020 version of Gene DeLance. Why? You know, the running backs ran hard. God bless Malik Davis, man. That, that kid, that kid runs like he, like literally like his life depends on it, which, you know, you love as a fan. Damian Pierce, same thing. Naquan Wright, same thing. Those guys, all the praise in the world goes to them for doing what they could behind a line that just didn't do their jobs. Um, and Emory Jones, I don't even know where to, where to go with that. I don't know how much of the playbook Dan Mullen allowed him to run last night. And I say that because he didn't let him run any of the playbook with a minute 56 to go and three timeouts left in the first half. And that is really the, the thing that everyone in Gator nation is talking about. I, I tried to get to all the other points first, uh, so we could get them out of the way and say that, you know, we touched on them, but Dan, what are you doing? Like, like insert Dan Katz from Barstool. Insert Big Cat right now. What are you doing? Three timeouts left. A minute 56 to go. You're up 10-7 with the ball. Florida gets a first down, and Dan Mullen chooses to just sit on the ball and run the clock out. This is an offensive guru, remember. We've heard no shortage of stories about what a brilliant offensive mind he is, how he engineered an offense that was really, really impressive with Felipe Franks, who looked terrible the year before in 2017. This guy turns Alex Smith and Kyle Trask's from and Dak Prescott's from nothings into stars at the college level, gets them into the NFL, and in, in Prescott's case, does really well in the NFL, and even in Alex Smith's case, does respectably well in the NFL. Guys who no one knew who they were. This is the guy that engineered all that, and you choose to run the clock out with a minute 56 to go with your hand-picked quarterback that you flipped from Ohio State, the first guy at Florida 
that you've engineered an offense with that you recruited, I shouldn't have to sit here and explain why that's bad coaching. Like th there are some things that are more intricate than that. Like if you have two guys on the, on the top of the screen and they're running the exact same route, like they're both running dig routes and they're spaced about four feet away from each other. Okay. You can debate why that might be Mullen's fault versus why that's a wide receiver not knowing his assignment. You can debate why they're lined up so close together and you, you can debate how much that blame goes on Mullen. Something like this, you shouldn't have to explain that. Everybody knows, aside from Dan Mullen, that that's an objectively atrocious decision by Mullen. The fans all know it. Former players know it. The color commentator, Dan Orlovsky, knows it. I'm sure the current players know it. They're not going to say it, but I'm sure they know it. Like, that's one of those things in, in the same category as why do you stop at a red light, Dustin? When, when you're in a car and you come to a stoplight and the light is red, why do you stop at it? Well, because that's just what you do. Like, that's it. That's the end of the discussion. That's the end of the explanation. That's it. Because that's what you do. Why, when you go to the grocery store, do you pay for your groceries? Because you just do. Because you just do. Period. End of conversation. End of, of discussion. And look, if Florida tries to be aggressive and they get a holding penalty or, or they, they snap the ball over Emery's head and he has to fall on it for a nine-yard loss, fine. Then sit on it. If, if you run back-to-back -back plays on, with tempo and they get a combined four yards and it's third and six, all right, maybe get a little more cautious there. But on first down, with your defense playing very well, by the way, so if you have to punt, not the end of the world, your defense has done its job. So when, when that happened on Saturday night, I invented a couple of new phrases. One – is that was speech-deprivingly atrocious. As in, that game management by Dan Mullen was speech-deprivingly atrocious because it rendered me speechless and left me with no possible combination of words and phrases in the English language that could possibly justify what he did. Two, it was game-costingly atrocious because it literally cost Florida the game. Game ended 20 to 13. Florida could have had seven on that drive if they tried. That's seven points we missed. And now I'm going to invent a third phrase. That was conspiracy-inducingly atrocious. So I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with, I, I don't believe this. I, I do not believe that what I'm about to say is the reality. But just indulge me here for a minute, Dustin, and I'll let you respond to this, and then I'll let you take your own thoughts onto the airwaves. Indulge me here for one minute and just you one minute deal. and take a walk with me. Say what you got to right. say. All right. Last week, we talked about the situation with Cam Newbauer abusing the women's basketball players. Scott Strickland, knowing about it, not really doing anything about it other than making him take some corrective actions of sorts. And then suddenly, after he signs into an extension, six weeks later, Strickland resigns. Okay, We're, we, you know, we talked about it last week. We're not going to go back into that whole story now. Suffice, all, all you need to know right now is Scott Strickland is getting heat from Gator fans. Some people want him to resign. I'm, I'm straddling that fence. I, I think that there's, there's reason to believe he should, but forget that. Let's just, just pretend that Dan Mullen knows that Scott Strickland, either by his own choice, by, you know, administration's choice, let's say that somehow or another Dan Mullen knows that Scott Strickland 
is on his way out. Or, 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 for some other reason, Dan Mullen has reason to believe that he is soon going to be leaving the University of Florida because he is notoriously hard to work with. He and Strickland have that rapport. That's why he's here. I, I don't really think any other AD would – well, some ADs might, but it, it, it is – there is a notoriously small pool of ADs who would work with him. So let's just pretend that Mullen knows that Strickland is on his way out. And he's not happy about that because that's his boss. That's the guy that hired him. They have a long working relationship from MSU. And he's pissed. And he's spiteful because, you know, let's face it, he is a stubborn, brash New England Yankee. That's, you know, that's as, as a New England Yankee myself, that's kind of in the DNA for, the, for this, this type of person. And as a result, he is trying to screw the program over. And so he does that on purpose. Now, again, I don't actually believe that. But let me just ask you something, Dustin. If that were the case, if that were the reality, okay, if, again, I'll say it a million times, I don't actually believe that, but if that were the case, how would last night's game have gone any differently? How would his coaching decisions have looked any different? What would be different? If he were attempting to screw the program over, what would he have done differently than what he did last night? Wow, Neil. So now we're entertaining conspiracies on the podcast. This is a whole new level for this show. You know why? You know why? Because what he did made less than zero sense. It was so against all, all logic and all reason and all rational thought for him to do what he did that in an attempt to actually make sense of what he did, I now have to delve deep down into these conspiracies because there is no other way that what he did makes sense. And I'll say it again, I don't really believe that. But that is how utterly mind-boggling his game management was, that I have no other avenues in which to turn in order to actually make logical sense of his decision-making. Yeah, yeah, well, the likelihood, and, and you already mentioned this, but the likelihood of this actually being the case is very low. It's, it's hard to see another outcome. Now, maybe you would – I'm trying to think, Neil. Um, I, I think you're, you're right on the nose because part of me wanted to think, well, maybe you would have the defense play terrible so that you could at least uh, cast the blame on, on Grantham. But if you're going to have this overarching conspiracy and not have anyone else in on it, the only thing you can really control in the game is, number one, your quarterbacks, and number two, your play calling. And the play calling was not good. I mean, the fact that we're, that we're making comparisons from a play calling standpoint to Will Muschamp against uh, South Carolina in I believe it was uh, 2014, the way we lost that game against South Carolina. Um, another game that, that comes to mind is um, uh, Jim McElwain, um, the year that that he lost to Tennessee. Um, was that Jim Mac 2016? Yep, lost to Tennessee. Yep. Um, again, you're the you're the resident savant on the podcast. I'm just I'm just trying to be like you. Um, but no, man, you're, you're just, 
you and I, you and I are, are both trying to make sense of the nonsensical. So, however we choose to do it, you can't. Let me let no me just say answer. this, Neil. Let me, everybody who, who who's listened to this podcast before knows how much I love analogies. And when something is confusing or doesn't make sense, I try to make sense with it with an analogy because it, it at least it at least helps my brain in in simple terms digest what's going on. So, um, if anybody listening to this has ever gotten a calculator this sounds pretty nerdy to think about but if you've ever tried to divide by zero you're like two divided by zero or five divided by zero whatever you're you, you get an error okay you get an error when you divide by zero that's exactly what Dan Mullen's doing he's he's literally taking a situation and doing something that shouldn't be done that literally makes zero sense. And then we, tr when we try to make sense of it, it's like pulling out a calculator and trying to divide by that thing that literally makes zero sense. So Neil, we're, we're going to get into it. Um, I know everybody's looking forward to our rants. So whenever you're ready for those, um, I definitely have one brewing, uh, but we'll get to it. I don't um, even know if what I just said qualifies as a rant. It just qualifies as no. me for minutes on end attempting desperately to make sense of something that there's no rational defense of. Like, here, here's the other thing. Guys like Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain, you expect them to do stupid things. Look at their win-loss records. Look at some of their personnel decisions. You expect them to be really, really bad at managing games and managing situations. Dan Mullen, all the time, all you hear about is what a genius he is, what a QB whisperer he is, what an offensive guru he is. That's all we hear about him. So you expect more of him. That's why this is so frustrating. With McElwain and Muschamp, it's just like, all right, get the guy out. He's not the guy, fire him, whatever. I'm not there yet with Mullen because he does show us flashes of that brilliance that has been teased so repeatedly and non-stop over the last few years but he does stuff like that it hurts the program florida's lost two games to kentucky since 1986 he's responsible for both of them that's not a fluke that's not a mistake there's two of them now you you could have in isolation blamed the first one on mackling because that was his team they were still trying to you know rise from the ashes because, well, you know, they're McElwain's guys. There was the credit card thing last year, a lot of attrition, so on and so forth. He, he has to manufacture an offense with a, with a QB that's not his, players that aren't recruited by him. There's no excuse for Saturday night at Kentucky. None. Zero. And we'll have that debate, too, in a little bit. But I'm really starting to question Mullen as the guy. And that's not the fire Mullen point. No, 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 no. I'm not there yet. But if and when that point in time comes, you better believe this game is going to be a very, very integral part of that conversation. So Neil, it's, it's, um, it's frustrating to think about what we're having to talk about because just, just a week ago, maybe a little more than that, we were we were discussing the viability of this team as a national contender. Now it's very clear that when asking the question, is this team a pretender or a contender? They were obviously a pretender. There, there, there's, no, there's no getting around it. I mean, and the big reason for it is consistency. This, 
this team, and, and, and we spoke about it quite a bit on our Twitter spaces that, that we recorded um, after the game. Um, and if you haven't already been a part of that, definitely be on the lookout for that on Twitter with the and all kinds of weather recruiting handle, uh, which runs that. Um, we, we, we spoke about at nauseum that this team plays to the competition. When you're playing the Alabama Crimson Tide, the big, bad, fat elephants that reside in the great state of Alabama, you will play the best game of your season. And then when you play the Kitty Cats from Tennessee or from Kentucky, the Kitty Cats, and there's another word that, that uh, we're not going to use, but the Kitty Cats from Kentucky, you play completely different. That makes no sense. We play to our competition. Teams that win championships dominate their competition. Because when you dominate your competition and adversity strikes, you're still going to win the game. Case in point, a team that Dan Mullen should be very familiar with, that 2008 team, every, every chance they got in that field, they sought to dominate the competition. And the one time they didn't, they lost to, to Ole Miss by one point. And Tim Tebow and that entire team put it on themselves that they would not play like that the rest of the season. And that declaration, that promise, produced a plaque that still to this day is on the side of the swamp. That team would go on after that game against Ole Miss to game after game after game after game obliterate the competition. You did not find after that Ole Miss game Florida playing to the competition. And what was the results? The results were a resounding victory by, I believe, 11 points. That game was close, but by 11 points against Alabama in 2008. And then against arguably one of the best teams in the, in, in the history of college football that didn't win a national championship, Florida defeated Oklahoma by 10 points. No. No, that game didn't quite look like what the pundits and the prognosticators expect to go into that game. It didn't matter. Florida won. And, 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 and why did they win? Because they had a winning tradition. The Gators' standard is a winning tradition. I only bring up that season because that is, the, that is why Dan Mullen came to the University of Florida to finish what he left off. It has to be a way of life, man. It can't be it a thing you do once in a, in a blue moon. And you know what? Ironically enough, what you just mentioned, that's why I still think we have a really good shot to beat Georgia. But you know what? That isn't going to matter. Now, because we have handed the division over to Georgia, and because even if we now go and beat them in Jacksonville, they still have to lose again. And after what we saw them do to Arkansas, granted, I do think Arkansas is a good bit overrated, but they're still a good football team. Georgia's, I don't think, is going to lose to Auburn, and they might, but it's not likely. And worse, that's out of our hands now because we don't make playing up to our potential. A way of life. We do it sometimes. It's a nice thought. 
You know, and it's it's great when we do. We left the swamp, Dustin. You and I left Ben Hill Griffin Stadium that day saying, you know what? It was a loss. We're not going to be happy about it. It was a loss. It was a loss. It was a loss. No moral victories. We don't do that. But we ultimately felt better about our team after that game than we did before kickoff. Because we saw a team that went out there and played the best it could after the first quarter. But you know what? No team is perfect. But they re they rebounded from being down 21-3 to make a game of it. That day, we chose to play to the best of our abilities. This year, we've done it mm, for about five quarters, I'd say. Maybe, I don't know how you gauge Florida Atlantic and South Florida, but against real competition, we've done it for a total of five quarters. Three against Alabama. Two against Tennessee and, and maybe maybe a drive or two against Kentucky offensively and I mean defensively fine. But the point is you can't pick and choose when you do that. It's got to be a way of life. It's got to be the standard that you reach, you meet, and exceed at times. And until Dan Mullen does that, we're going to have real problems competing for a national title, which is the goal here. Yeah, as long as that attitude and mentality is going to be part of how Dan Mullen runs the program, I don't even want to hear the word national championship. I don't. It may be a goal, but, I mean, it's very much just as much of a goal for the Gators at this point as winning a national championship is for the likes of South Carolina or I don't know. Pick another school that, that has no shot now. Missouri. I don't know. Missouri, yeah. You know, not even an SEC school. And there you go, Dustin. By the way, you Southern want to know why I, I, I thought and still think we might go on the road and lose to Missouri? Because of what we saw Saturday night. That's why. Not because Missouri's better than us. I never thought that. But because of exactly what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah. 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 Well, that's something I didn't see. So I'm going to give you credit that you saw a team – that would, in, I mean, look, I gave Dan Mullen a lot of credit coming into year four, finally with his guys, finally with this quarterback that would, um, I mean, I had a, I, I, I was hopeful that Emory Jones would be the next great dual threat quarterback to hit the airwaves of college football. We saw bits and pieces of that coming into the season with, um, with his various appearances over his time at, at the University of Florida before this year. And look, I'm, I'm still a, a fan of Emory Jones. I, I mean, you can't put this game on him necessarily. I, I, but it's a, t it's a team loss. And, and we were talking about this yesterday. A fish that smells, a fish that's rotten, that smell starts from the head. And when you look at Dan Mullen and you look at what he's done, it, especially looking at what he's done in this game, it smells bad. It's awful, and it starts with the head. Speaking of which, we could, we could go on and on and on about the state of the program and what we think about Dan Mullen, and, of course, we're going to continue that discussion moving forward, not just this week but in coming weeks. But, Neil, something that we got to talk about is the end-of-the-half sequence. I know we briefly mentioned it, at the beginning of the podcast. 
but we have to talk about it, Neil. With a little less than two minutes left, Florida had the chance to go into the second half with the score. Keyboard there. Florida had a chance. Florida was also aware that Kentucky would be getting the ball the second half, to start the second half. Any coach that I've ever met in my entire life, you and I, we both played football. I think we both say that our head coaches, when we played football in high school, we would bet money that our head coaches would try to do something with that end of the game sequence or end of the half sequence. You'd be right. Neil, I, I mean, I've already shared my two cents on it. What is your breakdown of the end of the half sequence for Dan Mullen and the, and the Gators? I already kind of – I already kind of did that, um, but it, it's worth going into again because this is not the first time we have seen Dan Mullen make in-game coaching mistakes that have cost Florida the game. We, we I did talk about it already, so I don't I don't want to I don't want to beat everyone over the head with that, um, especially because the memories of it are probably going to induce some nausea, and I don't want to be responsible for new carpet bills. But um, we like to talk about Dan Mullen as being not a great recruiter, maybe not so great with his personnel because Todd Grantham has no objective reason to be back after one of, if not the worst defensive years in program history. I don't know how you gauge, you know, the 1925 team when the game of football was totally different and you couldn't throw forward passes, but certainly one of the worst defensive teams in the history of the school. Um, and, you know, the Felipe Franks thing where he has to break his ankle in order for Kyle Trask to even see the field. But we like to think of Mullen as being a guy with the key strength of making the difference in a football game with his X's and O's knowledge. We like to think of him as a guy who, in a game that's even talent-wise, he can give his team that winning edge, that that tiebreaker. He can push them over and into the win column with his in-game coaching and even his coaching during the week, his, his X's and O's mind is being a strength of his, that, 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 that's gone. Like that's out the window. That is gone. You can forget that you can, you can forget ever thinking him that of him again. Cause this is not the first time we saw him do something just brain fryingly stupid. There's, there's another one. Uh, you know, game-costingly stupid, speech-to-privately stupid, conspiracy-inducingly stupid. This is not the first time you've seen him do something brain-fryingly stupid. Like, it just melted the brains of everyone who was trying to watch that. There was this. We've discussed it. it. It's not one of those things that should be, that should require elaboration of and breakdown of. It's just one of those things like, you know, why do you put your car in drive to start it? You just do it. Why do you shake someone's hand when you meet them for the first time? You just do it because you just do it and that's it. So there was this, there was the Alabama game this year where down two scores or no down eight late in the game, Mullen chooses to take his sweet ass time instead of running tempo. The Gators do get a touchdown, but by doing that, you force the two point conversion to be successful and if it isn't, a first down by Alabama ends the game. Whereas if you run tempo and you score with maybe 5.30 to go or six minutes to go and you don't get the two-point conversion, you're still down two 
with a chance to get the ball back and then score again if Alabama gets one first down. You're, you're telling your defense, you're getting a three and out here or we lose. When, when you run that much time off the clock for scoring that touchdown, when Damian Pierce ran into the end zone, the crowd was electric. I was just sitting there nervous as all get out because I knew this game is going to come down to the two-point conversion. And if we don't get it, we lose. And that touchdown means nothing. We didn't get it. Alabama gets one first down and the game's over. So bad coaching on Mullen. You run tempo there. You show some urgency. You don't have to run, you know, a, a two-minute drill necessarily. But you bled so much time off that clock that you put the game in the basket of the two-point conversion. And when it failed, we lost. So there's that. Then you go to the last time we played Alabama, the SEC championship game last year. Florida's down two touchdowns. Kyle Trask pushes his way in. Fine. So it's 52 to 38 before he scores. He scores six points for Florida, 52-44. Mullen, playing the analytics game here, says, okay, deep breath here. What do I do? Well, the analytics say if you go for two, it's basically a coin flip, meaning if you go for two twice, you're going to get it one of the two times. That's, I mean, that, that's just basic math. So I'm fine with that. Because if Florida gets the two-point conversion the first time, they're down six, meaning a second touchdown with the PAT wins you the game and the SEC title. So there's that positive. The negative being if you don't get it the first time on the two-point conversion and you're still down eight, if you score a second time, because the two-point conversion is a coin flip, the, the odds and the math tell you that you're likely to get it the second time. So I'm fine with that. But then when you score that first touchdown, you got to go, man. You got to have that two-point conversion ready. If you're, if you're this deep into the, into the, you know, the, the sabermetrics, the, the deep dive analysis, the analytics, if you're so in with that, you got to know what you're doing on the two-point conversion. You can't take a timeout there. You, you can't risk the, the clock running down and having a delay of game there. How do you not know what you're going to do? And then if you must, it, all right, let's say like Mullen's brain freezes. He's, you know, it, it just, like there, there, there's a short circuit in the brain. He doesn't know what he's doing. The clock's going to run out. There's going to be a delay of game penalty. Take the delay of game. Have your kicker, who's by the way now killing it in the NFL with the Bengals, Evan McPherson, kick a 24-yard extra point. What does he care? he's money. You move him back five yards of an extra point. Who cares? Have him kick the extra point, take the delay game and make it a seven point game. Cause you're not going to go for two from the seven and a half or eight yard line. It's, just, no, it's not going to happen. So just kick the PAT, get down to seven, forget it. You, you've lost that opportunity. Just take, take the L move on, keep going with the game. You don't burn a time out there. Think about what happens on the last drive for Florida. If there's 50 seconds left instead of 10, because Florida had one fewer to use when Alabama was running the ball on their last drive and running the clock out. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're taking the game completely out of Trask's hands, and you're basically putting all your eggs in the onside kick basket. Or, or, or you're, you're, you're telling your team, you're gonna, your defense, you're going to force a fumble right here. You're going to rip the ball out of Alabama's hands, or we're going to lose the game. That's, that's what you're doing. And, of course, when we have 12 seconds to go in the game, 
Trask gets sacked, the game's over. As opposed to with 50 seconds to go, if he gets sacked, situation is still very clearly not good, not ideal, but you have maybe 35 seconds when you'll get the next snap off. You have a fighting chance as opposed to the game literally being over. So then there's that. And then there's Georgia in 2019, the same exact thing as Alabama this year. You're down 24 to 10. You run almost the entire fourth quarter out. You need two touchdowns and you piss away the entire fourth quarter. You finally hit Freddie Swain. That's great. That drive took you 17 plays in seven minutes. Now a first down or a penalty by Georgia or a first down for Georgia or a penalty on you ends the game. You can't do that. So, yeah, I, I think that the window to, to praise Mullins' X's and O's ability is gone. And I think now we're left in a spot where, well, he does some great things, but he does some unbelievably stupid things. And we just have to cross our fingers, you know, sit there and pray to God that he's going to do the right thing when it matters most. And that's just a hope and a prayer. That's not any X's and O's analysis of this. That's just sitting there and saying, please, Mullen, don't be a moron now. Be, be a moron in the second quarter against Samford. Yeah, Mullen, Mullen's got some answering to do, and he's really, he's really got to sit down and, and you know, stare in a mirror and ask himself wh- what he wants to do at the University of Florida. Because if he keeps doing shit like this, forget you know, the goal of winning a natty. We're going to be second fiddle to Georgia forever. Because Kirby Smart's got some holes in his operation, but he's not beating Kirby again, not, or at least not, not on a consistent basis, if he keeps doing stuff like this. Or I should say, he, he might beat Kirby head-to-head. He will not control the SEC East. Because, you know, if, he, if his team gets up for Georgia and they play Georgia like it's their Super Bowl, like we did Alabama, you might win that game. And I still have some hope for that. But I'm also just as certain that we're going to go on the road again and lose to a Missouri, an LSU, or a South Carolina before the season's over. I don't know, man. I'm, I, I yield. I've been, I've been going off long enough. But at that – put, put it this way. If, if and when the time comes for Dan Mullen, you know, to, for, for the fans to call for Mullen's head, like if we get to a point where that becomes a reasonable thing to do, this decision of his will be front and center on that resume to fire him. Yeah, Neil. I mean, if you would have told me, if you would have went into a time machine and saw the outcome of the game and it came back to me before the game, you were to tell me that Florida would lead in total yards versus Kentucky by 158 in time of possession by over 12 minutes by first downs by eight. So Kentucky had 13 first downs. Florida had 21 first downs. And that the turnover battle would be even. I would have told you that Florida beats Kentucky by three touchdowns. Easy as that. There's no reason why this Florida team should not have beaten Kentucky. No reason. We've hashed that out over and over and over again. but. Bro, there's something that we have to discuss. So one thing that was very clear, it was very clear that that Dan Mullen still doesn't trust AR-15, Anthony Richardson, with the starting job at quarterback. 
it's also even more evident that apparently, regardless of what Mullen said about Emory Jones knowing the playbook more than AR-15, it's clear that Dan Mullen doesn't trust Jones either, which is, which is excruciatingly awful when you think about it because this is the guy that Dan Mullen handpicked, okay? This is his dual-threat quarterback, his guy that even was touted coming in to not only be a dual-threat quarterback, but a guy that could actually throw the ball. I mean, when we saw the, the highlight tape and the film of, of Emory Jones coming in, we all expected this to be the, uh, the reincarnation of Michael Vick or, or um, you know, a, a more speedy or, or quick version of Tim Tebow. What we're seeing is basically one or two upgrades above Trayon Harris. Maybe that might be going too far. That's a little extreme, man. Trayon Harris just didn't know the rules of football. The guy thought he could throw it twice on the same play. Come on. That's, so it's a little reach. Um, no, I, we did. We did think that this guy was going to be Lamar Jackson 2.0, or at least some fans did. Um, and I, I have to wonder, like, if the reason that you're going to just sit on the ball and kill the end of the first half is because you don't trust Emory Jones, well, then why is he on the field? Why has he been on the field? If Anthony Richardson can't play, okay, you've still got other QBs. You know, you got Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who, by the way, another guy that you handpicked. Oh, but he doesn't trust true freshmen. Okay, so you're telling me that that the QB guru, the QB whisperer in Dan Mullen, the QB genius doesn't have a single quarterback on his active roster that he trusts, that's problematic. That is that is an inherent, deeply inherent issue right there. I know I say this a lot, but I'm just beside myself. I mean that that whole sequence of, of plays to end the final drive for the Gators. Just, oh, man, there, there has to be some play in the playbook that you can pull out and that the Gators have run in practice that can get somebody open. You know, anything would have, would have worked better than what we did. I mean, I was hoping at some point that we ran a play similar to well, we ran against Tennessee that, that, uh, that got a running back um, open for the touchdown in the flats, right in the red zone. I mean, there's a ton of plays that you can do. I mean, Kentucky, Kentucky's good defensively, but they're not, you know, the Bears from the 1980s. I mean, you, you can find a hole in that defense and score a touchdown. It's not, it's not rocket science. There, there had to be something that we could have done, but we, instead, we chose to do exactly what Florida couldn't do, what we, what we knew Florida couldn't do, what we knew Emory couldn't do. We tried to throw the ball in windows that weren't there, and we tried to run the ball up the middle, and we, with the complete understanding that, that Kentucky was loading the box and forcing us to, to have to throw the ball or have to take the, the football outside. There's literally it, – it doesn't make any sense. So I know that we've kind of hit on where we stand with Mullen. Um, let's uh, – I, I do want to press you, Neil, though. 
do you do you think Dan Mullen should be fired? No, I do not because he has done more good than he has done bad for Florida. I still I still give him a lot of points for taking the program from the dark ages that Jim McElwain left us in, getting us to three straight New Year's Six Bowls. However, this is more Mullen's team than any before it. This is his fourth year. This year has the highest percentage of players that were recruited or signed by Dan Mullen of any of his four, naturally, because that's going to happen as you move along in your tenure, like year two had more than year one, year three had more than year two and so on. So the further into his tenure we go, the more direct the results are going to correlate with what he is. Like Bill Parcell said, you are what your record says you are. I guess the exception to that is 2020 when they went eight and four, you know, swap out A&M in Arkansas for New Mexico State, South Alabama, Eastern Washington, and FSU. Florida's probably 11 and three, unless you care to explain how Florida loses any of those games. But beside the point, the more years that pass us by, the deeper and more direct of a correlation there is between Dan Mullen as a coach and the win-loss record. We are now seeing a decrease. I'm, I'm going to give him 11 and three just because, you know, just, just for comparison purposes, I'm going to give him 11 and three last year, because that was what the record would have been had we played the schedule we were supposed to play. 11 and three is not going to happen this year for many reasons. Not the least of which is that we've already given the East away to Georgia and or Kentucky, but this is a step back. This is a, this is a decrease from 2020. It happens again in 2022. You know, we see another year-to-year regression between 2021-2022. There's little, if any, justification for bringing him back in 2023. So, because of what he did with guys like Kyle Trask, because of what he did with Felipe Franks after he was awful in 2017 and turning him into a serviceable option at QB in 2018. Because of the fact that he took us to New Year's Six Bowls after we hadn't been there for six years in each of his first three years, because he did finally get over the hump last year and beat Georgia, I am willing to write that off as a fluke on Saturday night. I'm willing to give him the rest of the year, see how things progress, see how the rest of the year goes. We can still have a good year. You know, we can still go, we can still win double digit games, we can still go to New Year's Six Bowl. Um, you know, for, for a, a rebuilding year, for a down year, 10 and three, which is seeming like the most likely result now, 10 and three isn't terrible. The question is what happens next year. So no, I don't want to fire Dan Mullen. Um, I'm not especially close to that point, but this game will certainly not be forgotten about if, and when more losses pile up. Like if we, if we go and lose to LSU in two weeks, then I'm ringing the alarm bell. Because, well, now we're looking eight and four square in the face, an actual eight and four, not the you know bullshit COVID year eight and four, like an actual season eight and four after what should have been 11 and three last year with his handpicked guys. So to be revisited in the future, but you know, I, I'm, I'm irritated. I am by no means even going to attempt to make sense of what he did on Saturday night. Um, and by the way, speaking of what he did on Saturday night, this this isn't as much on Mullen as you know the, the in-game management of the end of the first half, especially, but 
the penalties. How do you go and commit 14 or 15 penalties in a game? They're going to happen. It's very hard to go a whole game without committing any penalties. You're going to get a false start or two. There's bound to be a point where someone, and you know, any one of the 11 guys on your, on your defense isn't lined up right or lined up at the neutral zone or something. How do you get 15 of them and eight false starts? How the hell does that happen? Again, I, I said this at the top of the show. I'll say it again. If, if 61,000 fans are spooking you, in Kroger Field, what's going to happen when you go to a crowd that's time and a half that big, 150% that big in Death Valley, who, by the way, are notoriously nastier than Kentucky fans, who are going to be louder than Kentucky fans are. Like 60,000 LSU fans will be louder than 60,000 Kentucky fans. So it's going to be more than proportionally louder in Death Valley. How are you going to do that? How are you going to win at South Carolina? If you can't hear the snap count, why are we going to a clap? How about a leg kick or something if you can't hear? How about a silent count? Why are you relying on a method of snapping the ball that relies on your hearing ability when 61,000 fans is too loud for you to hear anything? Why do you not change that? Why do you not have another way of snapping the ball built in to your offense? So... I mean, some of the penalties, like, you know, do one block taking a shot at the guy out of bounds. I, I don't like it. I wish he hadn't done that. Um, and he's definitely got to learn from that. But I can live with that. That's, you know, the juices of the moment getting to you. Again, I don't like it, but I can tolerate it. I cannot tolerate. And really, Mullen should not tolerate eight false star penalties on the road. Art the Swamp, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, the famed Ben Hill Griffin Stadium with 90,887, forced Alabama to commit four false starts and a delay a game. That's five. That's not good. Saban ripped his team for that. Eight? Eight of them? In a, in a crowd that's 66.6% the size of the Swamp. Eight false starts. I mean, I, I assume it'll get better. I assume if we play another road game, when, when we play another road game in two weeks at LSU, it'll be a little better. I assume Mullen and Hevesy will do something about that. I assume we'll build in a silent snap count or a leg kick. But how, how does that happen? I, I don't understand. And look, I've, I've never played football in a stadium that big, I've never been responsible for staying set until the ball is snapped with 60,000 people in my ear. But you guys have been there before. You guys aren't all true freshmen. You've played high-stakes high school games that are, that are something. You've had stadiums wanting your blood before. I, I'm, I'm at a loss, man, like you. I'm at a loss. One thing that has to go, and, and this, this goes back to, and I know you, you made comments before on, on uh, the pod that you don't even watch Dan Mullen's postgame pressers because they're, they're really worthless. He, he literally doesn't say much. But the guy has a stupid ego that has to stop. 
And that's, that's, my, that's my real rant for today. Dan's ego needs to be fired. I'm tired of it. I'm tired uh, of it. Well, you know, you know, he you needs know, you know. to take ownership of this defeat. Because he's the one getting paid seven and a half million dollars a year. His ego needs to go. Have some heart. It starts at the head. Have some heart. Well, you know, we did some good things. You know, we did some good things, Dustin. We did some good things. You know, we we, we outgained them. There, there was that. We out we outgained them. Um, you know, something's happened. Something's happened. You still they're, they're, lost. They're... You outgained them. Great. When you outgain them, you better outgain them on the scoreboard too. Because that's all that matters. When the college football playoff committee looks at your resume, they might see, oh, 382 yards versus 224. No, they see the score in Florida lost to Kentucky 20 to 13. Again. And here's why I'm mad. No, I wasn't mad originally. Because I didn't see the pictures. Oh, there's pictures. There's screenshots. Dan Mullen was walking down the field at the end of the game, smiling. Not just smiling, but smiling like a little schoolgirl who just was asked out by her crush. Dan Mullen was smiling. That took me back to Jim McElwain, smiley after losing. We don't smile after losing. I don't care if there's cameras. I don't care what the circumstances. You don't smile after a loss. Because if, if you're pouring your blood, sweat, and tears, then you don't smile. In fairness to Dan Mullen, uh, the video will show that you know, in the in the frames before and after that screenshot, he was not smiling. He was not looking very happy. But he, nonetheless, the screenshot doesn't exactly lie either. He did allow himself a little bit of a smirk, a little bit of a grin there. Um, I I hope he really. I hope he thought of some like knee slappingly funny joke at that moment to try to keep himself from you know doing something terrible because. I, if that wasn't it, that that that's a bad look, man. That's a really bad look. And you can explain it as saying, you know, it, it, it was just like an odd screenshot. The, the frames before and after do show he wasn't really, you know, continuously smiling. But even to, like, smirk like that for a second, to grin like that, that's a bad look. And you know what else is a bad look? Losing to Kentucky for the second time in 35 years, Dustin. Florida has now lost to Kentucky twice in 35 years. Both of those losses belong to Dan Mullen. So that adds another finger in the eyeball. Like, you know, I, I feel like after watching that game, Saturday, I feel like someone just jabbed me in the eyes. That's another finger in the eyeball. On top of the optics of losing to Kentucky, the way in which we lost, because Mullen handed the game away, we didn't know it at the time. Sure, there was a fluke involved. There, you know, there was a blocked kick six that doesn't happen every game. That's very rare. So I'm willing to call it a fluke. But 
Kentucky outplayed us. They are not as talented as we are. And supposedly, I, I throw this statement into serious question after that game, but supposedly Florida's coaching staff is superior to Kentucky's. I don't I I really question that now after seeing that game. But I I'm of the, the suspicion that if the block kick six doesn't happen and the game ends in a tie, Florida loses in overtime. One one billion percent Florida loses that game in overtime. Kentucky was ready to play. Someone was gonna make a big play in OT. Mullen would have done something stupid because he'd done several such things in the prior 60 minutes and Kentucky would have won. You know, maybe, maybe he would have gone for two on the, in the first overtime when he didn't really have to, could have just kicked the PIT only in the second OT. Do you have to do that? Um, you know, he wouldn't have gotten it. Kentucky would have won on an extra point. Maybe he would have, I don't know. Maybe he would have called like back to back four verts plays on first and 10 in OT, not get a completion on either one and be stuck in a third and 10. He would have done something pretty dumb to lose that game. Cause that's all he did. He didn't bring his brains with him from Gainesville. And I say that again with the frustration of knowing that he has brains. He's smart. We expect better from him. Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp were morons. They were incompetent. They could not, they, they fundamentally could not manage a big time football program. They just couldn't do it. So at a certain point, you just have to look at them and shrug and say, you know what? They are what they are. They're not cut out for the job. Let's fire them and move on. Dan Mullen has shown us he can do great things here. That's why this is so frustrating. We know he can do great things. We saw him take a quarterback that didn't even start in high school, turn him into a Heisman Trophy finalist. We know he's smart. We saw him beat Kirby Smart with mankind's fourth ever invention. The wheel. The wheel route. That's, that's a wheel route joke. We saw him beat Kirby Smart with one freaking route. We saw him, against all odds, turn Dak Prescott, another unknown QB, into a star. We expect more of him. So when we talk about should we fire him or not, this is getting a little off topic, but it's a good place to end the pod. When we talk about should we fire him or not, Mullen can do great things. He can be a national championship winning coach at Florida. He's got to make some changes to do it, but the pieces are there. The, the, the components of what make a championship coach, you know, the puzzle pieces, the atomic makeup, for a national championship winning coach is there. So that's why I still say no. You're right, Dustin. He's got to get rid of that ego. That. You think? Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, on the Twitter spaces on Saturday night, someone, um, presumably from the South, he had a Southern accent. So someone from the South said, you know, that, that New England act, that New England brash cockiness doesn't sit well with us southerners you know who else doesn't sit well with me a guy who spent all my life aside from one year that i lived in virginia i have lived my whole life in new jersey north as it gets it's pissing me off i've had enough of it i'm the guy who supposedly should understand and be accepting of it the most and i'm sick of his shit so mullen 
I love what you can do. You've shown me you can be so successful here. The, the pieces are there. You've shown flashes of it. Why do you just take a gun and shoot yourself in the foot over and over and over again? The, you know, the return of Todd Grantham, putting Felipe Franks back out there in 2019. You know, the, the, the decisions this year with, with Emery and AR, and now this bullshit at the end of the first half. Why? We know that you're a smart guy. You've won more games at Mississippi State than all but one other coach could ever win. You took Florida from the, from the ashes that Jim McElwain reduced it to and made it into a New Year's Six contender every year. Why do you insist on doing this bullshit to bring your own program down? And look, I said before, I'll say it again, I do not believe in that conspiracy, but I'm forced to go there. I hate conspiracy theories. That's where I'm forced to go to attempt to make sense of your garbage. Why? Why? Why did we not run more speed options against Kentucky? Why do we not have a silent snap count built in? Why do we not have a single quarterback on the roster if AR-15 is not healthy? Why do we not have a single quarterback on the roster, be it Emery, be it Carlos Del Rio Wilson, be it John Kitna's son, Jalen Kitna? Why do we not have a single quarterback on the roster of a program that is led by a head coach who, above all else, has been touted to be a QB genius? Why do we not have a single quarterback on that roster that you trust in a two-minute drill? And really, like, like that's that's all the analysis that, that needs to be out there. Florida, the, the, the penalties are annoying. Florida wins the game if they have a functioning offense on Saturday night. The penalties probably take a few points off the board, but they survive that game. I don't know, man. I It's, it's going to take some more time to, to really process this and come to terms with what, with what we saw. But, I, I mean, I'm, I am utterly and fundamentally lost for words. So... Let's let's do the final word and and call this a show because I never want to think about this game again. Let's go ahead and ask the question: Where does this team go from here? I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, this team probably will play Georgia better than they played other opponents because I mean, we do see this team has a habit of playing to their opponents. Um, I mean, obviously, we're, we're not quite at a place to say Florida's going to beat Georgia. We'll, we'll obviously hash that out in just a few weeks. But where does this team go from here? What about 2022 or 2023? What about the recruits? I know these are some big-picture thoughts, but for a couple minutes, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those things. Yeah, I don't think one loss really has that big of an implication on it. I'm more focused on next week against Vandy and then LSU. We should beat Vandy. We're going to be gigantic favorites over them. Um, I mean, if we if we lose that, like that's a fireball offense. Like that's worth canning Mullen on the spot. But we're not going to. So no need to discuss that. Um, let's see if we can beat LSU on the road. Let's see if we've learned anything from this road disaster at Kentucky. Um, and then let's see what happens against Georgia. I would very much love to see us at least make Georgia sweat. I obviously want to beat them, but let's see if we can really play up to our potential in that game. And at this point, the goal has to be another, another new Year's six bowl because the championship dreams for both the sec and the CFP are shot. So let's see if in 
a supposed down year, we can maintain our spot in the New Year's Six. And then in the offseason, we can discuss the long-term ramifications. All right, so we both hope to never have to discuss that again. We don't want to fire Dan Mullen. Dustin, you're with me, right? We don't want to fire him quite yet. Is that right? Nope. Nope. Okay. Just his ego. Yep. Fine. So we hope to never be at the point where we have to discuss, you know, the, the future of the program in terms of the head coach. But I mean, if, if we do, this game's going to come up. So trust me when I say in more ways than one, we hope to never ever discuss this game again. Let's move forward. Let's beat Vanny. Let's shut LSU fans up. Let's get some payback for last year. Let's see if we can maintain dominance over Georgia and then we can go from there. But Last bit of business for this game is the final word, and it is going to be ugly. So let's go ahead and give our play of the game, player of the game, and grades for the offense, defense, special teams, the coaches, and a grade overall. So let's start with the play of the game. Dustin, what have you got? So my play of the game would have to be the first down right before the end of the first half. Reason for that is, it's on that first down that Dan Mullen made a decision that that wasn't going to be a drive where we were going to try to go two-minute. It wasn't going to be a drive where we were going to try to score. It was simply a drive that we were going to try to clock it and head into halftime. That was the play of the game because it's at that moment that I knew that Coach Mullen was coaching scared. And then when, you're, when you coach scared against a team that has heart like Kentucky – Kentucky will get you by the jugular and they'll kill you. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to go anywhere other than the block field goal. Cause in a game that Florida was still leading at that point, that gave Kentucky its first lead of the game made them you know, really think that they weren't just in it. They had a real shot to win it. Kentucky kind of dominated the game from that point on. So I, it's gotta be that. And that really like, that is a fluke play. There's obviously skill involved, like, you know, as, as the guy on the defensive line on the field goal, you got to shoot the gap, right? You got to, you know, get out of your stance quickly enough after the snap, but not so quickly that it's a, you know, encroachment. Got time it up just perfectly. Got to use some strength to get into the backfield, not debating that. But in terms of the, prob- the probability of that and the, and the kick getting blocked in a sense that it could be returned for a touchdown, that's a huge fluke. But it happened. It went Kentucky's way. So that's got to be it for me there. Player of the game, who have you got? Neil, I got DeAndre Square. He played out of his mind. 13 tackles, five solo. But even more so than that, his influence and his leadership was all over that defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tie between Chris Rodriguez and Wandale Robinson for Kentucky, both of those guys. On a night where Florida's defense mainly did its job, those two guys kind of had their way. With Florida, Rodriguez runs for 99 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown, and you know the, the put-away touchdown really. And Wandale Robinson has the first touchdown in the game on a play that never should have gained 41 yards in a touchdown, but did. And now grades. This will be fun. Um, offense, defense, special teams, coaches. Dustin, you first. All right. Offense. They get a big fat F. A team that I expected to score 34. They only score 13. <laughs> they get an F. And it's not the kind of F that you can uh, go back to the drawing board for. It's the kind of F where you just you just have to drop the class and, and hope you do better the next semester. 
defense, defense gets a C and a, a fairly high C at that. I mean, anytime you, uh, you give up a 41 yard touchdown, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get a super high grade on defense, but I felt like the defense did enough to win the game. I'm not putting any of the blame on that defense. Special teams, F. Now, I, I was very pleased with the, the two big kicks that were made by our kicker, um, Chrisman. But other than that, the special teams was awful. I mean, the, the game-losing play, um, arguably, that play that you called the play of the game, that was a special teams play. So special teams can't get anything higher than an F. Coaching? Coaching? F minus. Coaching was terrible. I mean, we dedicated this entire episode to the poor coaching. F. Overall, F. You want a percentage? Give me like 45 or 40, 42%. How about that? 42. Okay. I'm actually going to be slightly more generous than you in some respects. Offense, D, they did not play well at all. It's the kind of grade, like, I mean, I didn't get too many Ds, honestly, but I I don't imagine you did either. But I, I imagine it's like, all right, you're very, very close to failing. So get your shit together and do better next time because – this was a coin flip. This could have gone either way in terms of passing or failing. And next time the coin flip may not come up your way. So get it together. But the offense did great on the first drive. I really thought that the offensive line was bad. But Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, and Damian Pierce saved this grade for the offense. They were the only three guys that at least consistently, I mean, Cope had a nice catch and run. Hendo ran some nice routes. Whittemore did some good things. But these were the only three guys that consistently on every single snap did what they were supposed to do, ran hard, ran angry, ran mean. They played like they wanted to win the game. So because of those three guys, because of those three running backs, offense gets a D slash D plus fringe grade. Defense. C plus, they weren't great. Uh, you know, if you get a C plus, you, you know, jump for joy. But they more or less did their job. The tackling was awful on the on the touchdown run by Wandale Robinson. Um, I mean, guys missing tackles left and right here and there on that run. Um, I thought we did an okay job setting the edge on some plays. Kentucky didn't run a ton to the outside, but we did better at that than I kind of expected. Our secondary seems like they missed Kyer Elam more than I thought they would. Jason Marshall is going to be a stud. I was impressed with his game tape when I watched it again this morning. He did his job. Uh, Zach Carter, obviously, quietly chasing that Alex Brown record again. He's got 5.5 sacks now. The record's 13. So, you know, not bad there, but overall not great. Special teams, F. Easy. The, the easiest F, F I've, ever, I've ever given. Um, J- Jeremy Crawshaw had a couple of good punts. Jace Wait, Chrisman, Neil. Wait, Neil. Yeah. Even easier than the F that you gave the defense against Alabama last year? Mm. Well, because they faced a generational talent in Najee Harris, another, another generational talent in Devontae Smith, a very good quarterback in Mac Jones. So there's an excuse for that. 
there's no such talent on Kentucky. So, yes. Um, Jace Christman did have the two field goals, but, again, that blocked kick. And I know Florida blocked a kick in return. Well, that's great. The problem is the two blocked kicks net Kentucky plus six points. So, no, they're not even in, in the block kick department. And that block kick was so catastrophic that it quite literally made the difference in the game. So, easy F. Um, I should say the easiest F I'm ever, I've ever given until coaching. <sighs> two. Coaching gets a two out of 100. He, Dan Mullen and gets one point because he and his staff put their pants and, and their shirts on correctly. And they get another point because, though it wasn't perfect, they did manage to stick their headsets on their heads over their ears in a sense and in a fashion that they could at least communicate with each other. Did they communicate in each other in a fashion that helped the Gators? No, but because I, you know, because zeros are, I mean, like the ultimate middle finger and I, I try to be positive. I'm going to give them two points for that. Where to start? The fact that there's no silent snap count, the end of the first half, the fact that, you know, if you don't trust Emory Jones, why is he on the field? If you don't trust your hand-picked guy or any of the other two hand-picked guys in Kitna and in Carlos Del Rio Wilson, if AR's really hurt, by the way, which he was 100% cleared, but let's just let's pretend that he was still hurt. You have all these quarterbacks on your roster that you yourself hand-picked and you don't trust a single one of them to win you a game. Uh, yeah, F. It, and it's... Point, Dustin, here, here's, a, here's a better question. Point to something he did right. He, he, called, he called a good first drive. You know, those, those are all his play calls, so he, he gets that. But the rest of the game, all right, you know what? Fine, five. I'll, I'll give him a five because, yeah. you know, the first, first, the first drive, which he probably tinkered with and scripted in the week before the game, uh, did net Florida – more than half yes. of its total points on the day. So he gets a five. Yes. I like the play design on the touchdown. Um, I believe it was Xavier Henderson that caught the 22-yard pass on, uh, on one, of the, one of the first drives of the game. That was also an excellent play design right there. Um, I wish he would have done more of that. So it's kind of a, a backhanded compliment. Yeah, it's good, but you should have done it more. That's, and that's the whole that's the whole crux of this episode, dude. Yeah, Mullen, yeah. you're a good coach. You know how to call and run an offense. So do it, man. Do it. We know you can. Dustin and I would love nothing more than to sit here and you know break down the intricacies of the offense, but we can't do that because there was no offense on Saturday night aside from the first drive. I love that play design. I love the play design that netted a Jaquavion Frazier's touchdown, the first of his career. I love the idea of getting Rick Wells the ball on the outside. I wish that you did enough of that, that Dustin and I could discuss those types of things as things that had an actual impact on the results of the game. But we can't do that now. So, Mullen, man, Dustin and I still want you here. We, we still have some belief in you. I think that Dustin, right? Is that, is that correct? I don't want to speak on, on behalf of you without your consent. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Dustin and I still believe in you. We, we still have some faith in you, but you got to show us something, dude. 
you got to show us something. You can't keep losing the team games with your end of half or end of game idiocy. You just can't do it and expect to continue to be worth $7.5 million a year. We believe in you, but we need you to show us something to justify that belief. And that's, that's where I'll leave it, Dustin. You know, you, you, can, yes. you can take us home from here, but that's, that's the last thing I have to say. Did you give us an overall grade? 40. 40? Fail. And I'll, they, they yeah. did some good things. They, 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 so to speak, they answered a couple of questions correctly. They answered, you know, about 40% of the questions correctly in that the defense was good, did some good things, kept them off the board, kept us in the game. We did block a kick. So I guess even though the special teams gets an F, you know, that's got to count for something. First drive was good. Um, so, you know, you, you can't fairly give this team like a zero or a one. But, yeah, it, it's a fail. Like, this was a failure of a game. That was terrible. I mean, you, you go out and, and you have this type of game versus Georgia. You know, I mean, obviously it's still bad to lose to Georgia. But you expect a – 13 to 20 lost to Georgia. You don't expect this type of defeat to Kentucky. That's the thing. I don't care where Kentucky's at. They don't have the same caliber of players. Mark Stoops coming into this game, Mark Stoops, pretty good coach. No one put Mark Stoops and Dan Mullen in the same stratosphere. Now they are. <laughs> now Mark Stoops is, is likely in the lead for SEC Coach of the Year. He probably will get it, depending on how, how Arkansas fares the rest of the season. But I, I have a sneaky suspicion that with how tough Arkansas' schedule is, I think that, I think that Kentucky is going to end up winning a lot more games than Arkansas will by the time it's all said and done. So, Neil, here it is. It's finally time for us to put this episode to bed. And though I certainly realized that most of y'all didn't, enjoy the subject matter we certainly hope that you enjoyed the content as we we definitely want to give you the the best content possible as we move forward from this game of course this coming week we have a we have a game um against vanderbilt and then after that florida plays lsu goes to baton rouge there's a lot we need to see to have any hope that this team can turn it around in some way you know while winning the SEC or getting to the SEC championship is a very slim possibility, uh, if not a zero possibility, this team could still very well um, win the rest of the games or win all but Georgia and have a pretty good bowl game. There's still a, quite a bit to play for. We don't have everything to play for, but there's still some positives to look forward to. So with that said, I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, be sure to leave a five-star rating and a nice review on whatever platform you decide to listen to this on. Now, let me just say this, Neil. Now more than ever, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. In all kinds of weather, we all stick together, guys, and you know what? I'll leave you all with this. We're pissed because we care. We're mad because we love our team. We're upset because we want to see them succeed. And when they don't, and, and when they don't because of something that the head coach does wrong, it hurts us. It hurts us on behalf of the players who 
I, granted, they didn't play their best, but they deserved a coach to put them in better situations and give them a better chance to win than Dan Mullen did on Saturday night. In all kinds of weather, we will all stick together. We will still don our orange and blue and cheer for the Gators against Vandy. We will still be there cheering for the Gators at LSU, and I will still be there in Jacksonville rooting for the Gators, just as I would have been if we'd beaten Kentucky. So go Gators. Let's, let's lick our wounds. Let's just recover from this. Let's recuperate, and let's get back out there, and let's get a double-digit win season again. Let's make another New Year's Six Bowl, and let's finish in the top ten. For what's a rebuilding year, granted, it is not the Gator standard at all. That is not the ultimate goal at Florida. But for a rebuilding year, a New Year's Six Bowl and a top 10 finish isn't so bad. Yeah. let's. Uh, I never thought, Neil, that you'd be the optimistic one, but here we are. Well, with that said, I want to echo Neil in, in saying this. Go Gators and uh, – have a great week, everybody. We'll be, um, we'll be back here soon to break down all things Florida versus Vanderbilt. Later, y'all.